Well, turn with me now to Matthew chapter 7, re-entering our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And I think a very important word for us here that's going to say a lot to us about how we are to relate to God himself and how we are to relate to everybody else in our lives. So really a message that couldn't be any more important than this as Jesus continues to teach us here. I'm going to go ahead and give you the two points of the message right up here at the beginning. Point one is this. We must be confident and continuous in seeking God in prayer. That's point one. Point two is going to be this. We must be dedicated and deliberate in treating others with love. Let's dive into our text now. Matthew 7, picking up in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. For what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law in the prophets. So the first point is this. We must be confident and continuous in seeking God in prayer. Prayer is so important that in this one sermon, Jesus brings it up twice here. The first time he brought it up was in Matthew chapter 6. Remember this? Back in verses 9 through 13 where we got to take on the Lord's Prayer. What we saw is a model prayer for how we are to pray. And if you missed that one, of course, it's right here in your Bible. You can look at it. But also that message is still online. And I encourage you to watch that message. It'll help you apply today's message as Jesus once again takes up the topic of prayer. But let me pause here as we get ready to talk about prayer again. And let me ask you, how is your prayer life going? How would you describe your relationship with God as it relates to prayer? We know this. Prayer is a grand invitation from God to spend time in his presence. But we would also agree that it is also a great struggle for many Christians. But why is it? Why is prayer such a struggle for most Christians? Is it because of busyness? Is it because of distraction? Is it poor priorities? Is it fatigue? Is it spiritual warfare? And we'd say, yes. It's all those things. For all those reasons, we find it challenging at times to be men and women of prayer. But here's good news. You can learn to be a person who knows how to pray. Prayer can rise up in your life and become a dominant central part of your life, whereby spending time in the presence of God, you then experience greater joy greater hope in your life, greater confidence in your life, greater spiritual power in your life. And so that's where we're headed today. We want to grow in our prayer lives. And so here Jesus tells us that prayer matters. Here Jesus tells us that God hears us when we pray, that God cares, and that God answers these prayers. So here's our creator, the Lord of the universe, our Father in heaven, who is inviting us into his presence to make our request to him. Let's do it again. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now there's something going on here in the original language. There's a verb tense here that's worth calling out. It's the present imperative tense here. 
So we are seeing ask, seek, knock. We could also translate keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking because there's the idea of continuing to be active in these things. So Jesus presents prayer as something that you don't just do a little bit and then forget about. Prayer is something you continue to do. It's an ongoing, continuous conversation you have with God. And he uses three words for prayer here, ask and seek and knock. So certainly when we pray, we're asking God for things. And seek is a great word for it because oftentimes in the presence of God, we're seeking. We're seeking his wisdom. We're seeking his direction. Above all things, God, I'm seeking you. I must have you. And so I want to be in your presence. And then he describes prayer as a kind of knocking there. And the idea of persistence is there. When Jesus taught the same thing and it's recorded in Luke 11, there's a parable included there. And it's the parable where Jesus says there's a man and he's he's it's midnight and he has a friend arrive. And in that culture, in those days, you would be very hospitable. You'd have to feed a guest who arrived. And so this guest arrives at midnight. He doesn't have any bread available. And so he goes to his neighbor's house. Imagine it at midnight and he starts knocking on the door. I need bread. <laughs> Jesus gives the detail in Luke 11. I need three loaves of bread to feed a, a friend who's just arrived late. And Jesus, as he tells the story, the guy who's been asleep with his children, he says, well, I'm not getting up. I've already put the kids down, not getting up. But he persisted with the knocking, persisted with the asking, and Jesus making the point. We need to be that way in our, in our praying to the Lord. And so this verb tense here carries that same idea. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Because we need God. We need his presence. We need his leadership. We need his help. And so here's a reminder, it's not unspiritual or selfish to ask things of God. It's actually the exact opposite. It's unspiritual and prideful if you look at your life and say, I don't ask things of God. Basically, that's a declaration of independence from God. God, I don't want you. And God, I don't need your help. I have this life just fine. That's foolishness. When you look at how Jesus describes prayer here, and he says this is very productive, that you will be answered if you pray. In fact, we're told this in James 4, verse 2. You do not have because you do not ask. E. Stanley Jones said this. Some things God will not give until we want them enough to ask. T.W. Hunt said this. If progress in the Christian life depends on our prayers, if we are commanded to ask, what would a waiting father think if we refuse to ask? The only possible conclusion would be that we are either not interested in spiritual progress or else that we intend to spurn the very word of God. So what do you care enough about to ask the Lord about it? In fact, let's talk about the active nature of this. What do you care enough about that you continually bring these things into the presence of God? I think about my own life. There are certain things that just keep coming up when I meet with the Lord daily. One of the things that keeps coming up in the presence of God is praise. Here's one of the benefits of starting your time of prayer by reading the Bible first. So God, I wanna hear from you first, and then I wanna talk to you. I got some things on my heart, but I want you first to speak to me. Well, you're gonna be led to praise as you spend time in his word, and you, you get another glimpse into his greatness, his sovereignty, his power, all those things. It reminds you, yeah, I need to talk to him. He's the one who can help me, but praise comes up there. That's something that constantly comes up in the conversation with God. Another thing that keeps coming up is surrender. So meet with God, hear from him in his word, and then a constant theme in the prayer life is, Lord, I surrender everything to you. 
You are the Lord and I'm your servant. You're the father. I'm your child. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I lay it all down. That comes up constantly. Or how about this one? I bring needs to him. I have needs. My family has needs. Your family has needs. And so we constantly bring these needs before him. Another thing that is common in my prayer time, something I keep asking, seeking, and knocking for is for the nations. Every nation, every people group around the world needs to know Jesus. There's only one Savior for the whole world. And so when you spend time with God, his heart becomes your heart and you care about the nations and you pray for missionaries and you pray for national partners who are sharing the gospel around the world. If you're watching the news, you pray about a lot of other things as well. One of the things that I've been bringing to the Lord now for months and months is, is racial healing in our country. I bet you're praying the same way and praying for African-Americans in my life, praying for their comfort, but praying for racial healing across the land, praying for abortion to end. I've told you that in my prayer time, I have like a photo prayer journal. I have screenshots in there. One of the pictures I have in there that I see daily is a picture from the state capitol where a number of us several years ago were there to pray for life and to encourage the legislators to, to protect life. And I have that picture that remind me this is still an issue to pray for the protection of the unborn. I pray for my neighbors regularly, for their salvation and lost family members that they would come to know Christ. Here's one that I pray for regularly. I pray for my grandchildren that when they're old enough to fully understand the gospel, that they would choose Jesus, put their faith in Jesus. But listen, I'm not just praying that they would make a childhood decision. I'm praying that they would be disciples of Jesus Christ as they grow up. Here's how bold I pray. Here's how I pray for my children. I, I've prayed this to the Lord multiple times. And again, this morning, I pray, Lord, I, my prayer is this that all of my descendants, until you come, that they would trust you and be disciples of you, that not one would be lost, that they'd all trust you, serve you, be world-changing Christians until you come again. And I don't know how long that's gonna be. How many descendants could that be? How many generations before Jesus comes again? Of course, that all could, could end today if Jesus comes back. I pray that way. But yes, we pray some things continuously. And that's how Jesus presents prayer here. It's something you do continuously. You keep on asking but it's also something we do confidently. I hope you pick that up as well. Look at that again. Look at the confidence we can have in our praying. Back at verse seven, catch this, ask, now notice this, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, it will be opened. I like what one person has written. He said, we are to ask with a beggar's humility, to seek with a servant's carefulness, and to knock with the confidence of a friend. So these verses are quite impressive to us. It's quite a promise where we're told God will hear and God will answer when we pray. And our confidence is rooted in God himself, our relationship to him and his very nature. Notice in verse 11, he calls it out very clearly. Jesus says, God is your father. You should have this type of confidence when you're praying because you're, you're in me now and God is your father and our father is good. So why should I be confident in prayer? God's my father because I've trusted Jesus and he is a good father. Did you notice the unflattering comparison Jesus makes between us as earthly fathers and our father in heaven? Notice it again, verse nine. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Now, here's the unflattering part for us. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father who's in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? The point is, God is the ultimate good and loving Father. You can pray with confidence to Him. Not only that, He is a giver. Our God is a Father. He's a good Father, and He's a giver. Five times the word give is listed here. Here He speaks of giving fish, a staple for them in that place, in that time, and bread, a staple for them. You can count on God to meet your needs. I love Ephesians 1 where it says, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places because of Christ. And so he's our father. He's good. He's a giver. And all that is another way of saying he's a person. He's a person. So understand this. When you're praying, you're not trying to manipulate some impersonal force out in space somewhere. That's, that's not Christian prayer. No, we are praying to a person. Aren't you glad that God is not like electricity? Now, I like electricity, especially when it works, and I love living in a place where it normally works. And so you walk into a room, you flip the switch, this impersonal force, this electricity, it just comes on. And there might be times in our lives where we wish prayer were like that. I wish I could just flip a switch and God would do exactly what I want. But God is not an impersonal force. He is a person. And that works to our benefit. So electricity can be dangerous. There are times when you hit the switch and you would want it not really to work. So imagine you come home from being away and you don't realize there's a gas leak in your house. Electricity is dumb. It doesn't know what it's doing. It just does whatever it's told to do. And if you walk in with a house full of gas and you flip the switch, you might die from that because you hit a switch and it just went off without thinking. Aren't you glad we have a God we pray to who is a person? He chooses the best thing to do, even when we wish he would do something else. So our God is personal. Our God is intelligent. He's wise. He's active and decisive. He chooses what to do based on his nature, his will, and of course, for our needs, for our good. But it's quite a promise. He is going to answer our prayers. Not always what we ask for, not always when we ask for it, but God is answering. Here's a reminder. There are some variables when we pray. In other words, there is a condition when we pray. It does matter to God, the condition of our hearts when we pray. So let's just remind ourselves, prayer is not a blank check where we can just ask anything and it's going to always happen the way we ask. So interpreting scripture with scripture, we know that our heart condition, even our motives matter. Remember, James told us this, that you ask and you don't have because sometimes we ask with wrong motives. Our motives matter when we pray. James also tells us that sometimes we ask, we shouldn't expect to receive because we ask without faith. We're doubting God. Peter, here's a strong word. Peter reminds married men that your prayers can be hindered because of the way you dishonor your wife. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, we learned that. And so you think, God's not answering my prayers. A husband, one of the things he might run through the checklist, how am I treating my wife? And I think it works both ways. Wives, you can ask, how am I treating my husband? Am I treating them with respect as a joint heir in the kingdom of God? And then John tells us that sin can impact our prayer lives. He actually says it. He says it in the positive, 1 John 3, And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So we can't separate prayer from our rest of our lives. So we can't treat God in prayer like the roles are reversed. So, okay, God, now I'm praying. That puts me on the throne, and now you become my servant, and you've got to do whatever I say. That's not the picture of prayer in the Bible. God doesn't become our butler or our genie when we pray, and he has to just do whatever we clap our hands and tell him to do. 
Neither is God like a vending machine. Well, God, I prayed, I put in the required coins, I pushed the right buttons, and you're going to do things like that. No, He is a person. He is our Father, and He is good. And so when we pray, many times the answer is indeed yes. Did you know there are some things you can pray, and you can be guaranteed the answer is yes right when you pray it? So today you might be here, and you've been recognizing that you're a sinner that you cannot save yourself, that you're in trouble as you think about the judgment to come, if you today would recognize that, acknowledge that to God, and ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord, save me, Jesus, you know the answer is going to be to that? Yes. Right now, yes. If you ask Jesus to save you, the answer is yes. You've asked, you're seeking, you're knocking, the answer is yes to that. Or maybe you realize, you know, I've really not grown spiritually like I should have. Jesus, would you help me to grow? I want to grow stronger in you. Do you know the answer to that? Yes. You know that's the will of God, and God indeed will help you with that. Sometimes when we pray, the answer is not yet. So we can ask things of God. God is inclined to answer that prayer request that you've made. It's not a firm no. It's just not yet. You'll have to wait on the Lord. That's very biblical. Sometimes the answer is, well, not that that you've asked, but this is what I'm going to do. I know better than you. I have a better plan than you knew to ask. I'm going to answer this way. And of course, God as a father can also say no to things. But our role is this, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, being confident and continuous in our praying. And here's just a practical word. How can this be your life? How can you be one who prays regularly, becomes a centerpiece in your life as it ought to be? Here, Jesus bringing it up now twice in this Sermon on the Mount. Listen, by scheduling it, scheduling it. You'll never become a person who prays until you say, I'm going to schedule time to meet with God. And of course, there'll be times when you get interrupted with that. But your goal is, here's when I'm going to meet with God. In fact, you can be thinking about this week, these days ahead until we meet again next Sunday. When am I going to meet with God each day? And then you're going to rise up from that time with him and continue this conversation with God. But when are you going to guard it where you can have an unhurried conversation with God where you seek and you ask and you knock about the things that we've been talking about here? Schedule it, guard it, and enjoy that time with the Lord. So the first thing we've seen is this. We must be confident and continuous in seeking God in prayer. And now the second point Jesus brings up here from verse 12. We must be dedicated and deliberate in treating others with love. Look at verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you hear it? Jesus calls us to an active life of ongoing prayer. And he calls us to an active life of loving and serving other people. He says, therefore, here. In everything, therefore, treat people this way. And so that means he's pointing back to something. What's he pointing back to when he gives us now this teaching that we call the golden rule? What is it? Well, he could be pointing back to what we saw just before this talk on prayer when he told us not to judge people in that condemning kind of way. Don't be one who condemns other people. Instead, treat people this way. But more likely, it's what he just told us about prayer where he says, God is better than you. God the Father is a giver. And even when we don't deserve this type of love and care from God, here is God pouring it out to us. Therefore, because you belong to this God who's like that, then you turn to everybody else in your life and you act like God the Father. Be a giver into the lives of others. Here it is again. Treat people the same way that you want them to treat you. Indeed, called the golden rule. I like what William Barclay said. He says this is the Mount Everest of ethics. That's a great, great line. 
Jesus didn't merely give us what we could call the silver rule. There was this teaching out already in, in that day. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. You hear that? That's not a bad teaching. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But do you hear how that's very passive? One person said this, in its negative form, the golden rule could be satisfied by doing nothing. The positive form moves us to action on behalf of others. So we're not merely to think, well, I'm not going to do things to people that I wouldn't want done to me. Jesus puts us into active. He puts us into action where we want to care for other people. In fact, it's very much like the command to love your neighbor as yourself. That's active. Remember the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. And the golden rule here tells us how to do that. How am I going to love my neighbor as myself? Well, I'm going to start by asking this question. How, how do I want to be treated? And, and then I want to treat them that way. This is really key. We don't ask the question, how do I want to be treated? And then sit back and wait for people to treat us that way. That's not the command. Because we could re- get ourselves really sour by that. Oh, I want to be treated with great respect and kindness. And let me just wait and see if people treat me that way. That's not Christianity. Our move is, how do I want to be treated? Jesus says, now go treat people that way. Even if you don't get treated that way in return. Even if you don't get treated that way first. So this gives us a great understanding of, of the law here. Because Jesus says, this is the law and the prophets if you actually live this way. So it reminds us that the law it was never to be merely external. That's what the Pharisees did. We're just going to do the external, but our heart's not in it. Jesus, your heart needs to be in it. Remember, we're not to murder people. And neither are we to be hateful. And we're not to commit adultery, but neither are we to be lustful after other people. So it's not just to be external, it's to be internal. But here we see it's not to be passive, it's to be active. And yes, not, not stealing from people, that's part of it. And not seducing somebody else's spouse. And not slaying somebody else. But here Jesus says, if you want to fulfill this, go serve people. Go, go love people. In other words, Jesus tells us as a follower of his, we're not to be merely playing defense. We're to be playing offense. If we're not careful, we'll fall back to this position. I just want to avoid some great sins in my life. And by the way, that's not bad. That's part of the Christian life. You and I are bombarded with temptations throughout the day. And we need to be understanding this is a spiritual battle. Need to play defense. But Jesus said it's not just defense. It's offense. Treat people in the same way you want them to treat you and you act first. So this past Monday was the NCAA college football championship. And here was the final score, Alabama 52, Ohio State 24. There was a lot of offense in that game. Alabama alone, they had 621 total yards, seven touchdowns. That was a lot of offense. And I bring it back to the spiritual life and think, I want to be like that spiritually. I don't want to be one who just sits back and tries not to do anything wrong. That's part of it. But I want to be moving out with the love of God. I want to carry out the mission God's given. I want to play offense. Sometimes we set the bar too low. And Jesus here is telling us to live up to something higher than that. You might be a teenager and you look at your parents and say, you know, parents, you really ought to appreciate me. I could be out there going wild, doing all kinds of things. You should appreciate me. Well, that's great. That's what you're not doing. It's good for you that you're not doing these crazy things. Or maybe there's an inattentive husband and he says to his wife, you know, really, you need you start, you don't get off my case here because a lot of husbands are out there in the bars. You should just be thankful that I'm not out there. Well, that's good. You're playing some defense. 
But that's what you're not doing. What are you doing? Are you being active? Are you blessing other people in your home? Listen, notice, Jesus is calling us to reorient our entire approach to every relationship in our lives. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we're to, in everything, treat people the same way that we want them to treat us. If we were to take this up and say, Jesus, I will do that. It's going to shape every relationship, every area of our lives. So it's going to first show up at home. If you, if you in, intend with God's help to live out what he calls, what we call the golden rule, it's going to show up at home first. In fact, it's going to have an impact on how the dishes are done at your house, right? Like I, how would I want to be treated in this situation? <laughs> the dishes need to be done. All right, I'm up. I'm up. I'm going to help with that. How the laundry gets done. What kind of words are spoken? What kind of tone is used in the home? If you take this up and you live this out through the power of God, it's going to shape your home life. So how you treat your siblings is going to be different if you take this up. How you treat your parents or your roommate off at college. Or if you're married, how you treat your spouse. It's also going to show up out in public. You see a young mom with a baby and a diaper bag and a car seat. And you think, oh, I got to help. How would I want to be treated in a situation like that? Small things, I'm going to open the door. Or maybe you're in the checkout at the store and you've got a full cart and there's a guy with two things behind you. You think, I, I would want somebody to let me up front ahead of that, all that. And so, yeah, listen, we're going to operate that way. You come on up. You go ahead of me. Or in that parking lot, you're looking for that coveted spot and you and somebody else are coming to the spot at the same time. And you feel like it's yours, but you think, no, you know, I, I want it. That's how I want to be. I want them to yield to me. How about this? I'm going to yield to them. I have Christ in me. I'm going to let them have it. You can have the spot. Years ago, while in seminary, uh, we were expecting our first child and Joy stayed home with Hillary and I ramped up my work hours, student full-time, working as a part-time singles intern in a church, but then I took on a job as a full-time janitor. I cleaned two car dealerships and a medical supply warehouse. And so crazy, crazy year. It's a blur, a lot of that. But, but I learned some things as a janitor, a job that I really didn't want to have. It was just a matter of getting food on the table and paying rent. Here's what I learned. Nobody thanks a janitor. The first compliment I received as a janitor was on my final day at one of the car dealerships. And the manager of the car dealership said, hey, tell Scott to get another guy like you. You're the best janitor we ever had. I remember thinking that was great to hear, but I needed to hear that all the months leading up to this moment. This is the day I'm leaving. I could have used some encouragement here because as a janitor, I learned people tell you only when you miss something. When you, when you didn't get something done, you missed a cobweb, and I remember that day, <laughs> or you didn't clean off the gumball machines. All of it was, sometimes you're demeaned in that role, and so it's changed me. So now when I encounter a custodian or a janitor somewhere, maybe in a public restroom somewhere, and if it looks good, I'm going to say something. Hey, man, this place looks amazing. This place is sparkling. You know, I want to say something about it. Here's another thing that shaped me. When my children were little, I was always telling them, hey, don't put your fingers on the glass. Got a little paranoid about that. My kids probably grew up with a complex. Like, don't touch the glass. Because I remember at those car dealerships, I'd clean the glass. And then those car salesmen would come behind me and just push the door open with their fingers. There's a bar there. Use the bar. Somebody has to clean that. Little kids can't reach the bar. So I'm like, get, get back, get back. I'll open it for you. So you want to treat people the way I wished I had been treated back in those days. So let's just applying it to ourselves. How, how are you going to treat your neighbors? How are you going to treat your coworkers at work this week? 
Or if you're a boss, a supervisor, how are you going to treat people that relate to you? This is a call to love others actively. This is a call to radical selflessness. Again, it doesn't come naturally for us, but Jesus is calling us to live up to this. It's going to show up in some small ways, but real quickly, it's going to show up some big ways too. Because you consider people in your lives who don't know Jesus as their Savior, and you should put yourself in their shoes and think, you know, what would I want somebody to do for me if I still didn't know Jesus? I'd want somebody to tell me about Jesus. I wouldn't want to live another day in darkness, not understanding that my sins could be forgiven. I wouldn't want to go another day uncertain about my spiritual condition and what's going to happen to me after this life. I'd want somebody to tell me the gospel. And so now we go, all right, that's what I'd want. Then that's what I need to go do. This could, this could express itself in relocation where you think to yourself, well, if I lived in some remote Himalayan village or if I lived in some remote Asian city, uh, I would want somebody to bring the gospel to me. I wouldn't want to go another day, another year, without understanding that Jesus died for me and was raised from the dead. And so if, if that's what I'd want somebody to do for me, then Lord, I'm willing to take this message wherever you would have me to take it. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to elevate their need up to beyond my own. I want to treat them the way I want to be treated. Listen, it'll show up in our giving as well. We think about the poor. We think about people around the world without clean water, without food. What would you want done for you? If you lived in one of those places, you'd think, I'd want somebody to be generous. I'd want somebody to come and help me. And so we're to be the people motivated by the love of Christ like this to take action to be a blessing to others. And so do you see how fundamental these teachings are that Jesus gives us here? This shapes how we relate to God in this active, ongoing life of prayer to him. And then as we turn in everything he says, in every relationship, we're treating people with love and service. And then the final word is this, we can't do it. We can't do it by ourselves. In fact, did you know you can't even be a person who prays unless you first ask Jesus to be your savior? It's to those who have received Christ, they get the right to become children of God, according to John chapter one. And so trust in Jesus so that you can come to know God. You'll be one of his adopted children and you can have this life of ongoing prayer to him. But what about turning and serving other people like this? It doesn't come naturally. Oh, but if you daily Christian, will yield everything to God. The Holy Spirit will fill you and he'll produce his fruit in you. And listen, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Here it is, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You can't do it, but the Spirit of God can do this in us. Our move is to yield every day to him. Well, right now, let's pray to the Lord together.